uh, Nick Langan with you here on this WXVNU podcast special. Uh, really happy to have with me today a, a student in the graduate program here at Villanova who is uh, studying psychology. And uh, he took home the top prize in the uh, recently held uh, Villanova three-minute thesis competition amongst uh, all the graduate students uh, enrolled here at Villanova. It was open uh, to uh, such uh, 12 contestants. He brought home the prize for his uh, studying on the impact of modeling mental states on goal-directed conversations. Really happy to have with me Samuel <laughs> I just completely <laughs> talk about folding under pressure. Sinamus, uh, Sinamus, okay, yes, Sinamus, okay. perfectly. And and you're not the first person to ask that, and you won't be the last. So don't don't worry, Nick. Yeah, so it's that's okay. Yes, yeah, Samuel Sinamus. It, it, it's great to have you here. Um, first, uh, like like how has life been since taking home the uh, the, the grand prize? Oh, uh, life has changed dramatically. Uh, the thousand dollars has enabled me to move into a giant mansion. Um, I. <laughs> now have three Porsches and you know I only eat caviar now it's it's just unbelievable no no, it it was it was nice it it helped pay rent for the month that's really what it went towards um so but it's been it's been very it's been a validating experience for me so it was very very rewarding it it, it's every little bit helps first of all and that is no and and just you know and and yeah I think the validation um that's got to be huge um I guess sort of just just to start um, so, so you know, so we'll we'll end up, I think, working our way toward uh, what you presented at uh, Three Minute Thesis and yeah, your research. Yeah. But um, just maybe starting with your whole psychology background, uh, you know, take it back as as far as you'd like. Um, how did you, you know, become interested in the field? Where when did you decide this is what you wanted to study? Um, if you could sort of take us uh, down that path. Yeah, right. So I guess uh, Freud would be mad at me if I didn't start with my childhood. No, I won't I won't go that far back, but I'll, I'll go uh, fairly far back. And I guess I realized uh, as a younger kid, I didn't end up pursuing sports and it kind of had this natural inclination towards an introspective uh, framework in terms of how I went about my life. I wasn't a super athletic kid and so I kind of geared towards the other side of academia uh, in the world. And when I got to undergraduate uh, at Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York, I realized that I was very interested in psychology, and I had actually never taken a psychology course in high school. Normally, that's only an AP course, Mm. so it's not something that I I even thought about in high school. And I fell in love with psychology in terms of just understanding that there is this entire world inside our heads in terms of perception and cognition and how we go about the world and how our acts are influenced by our own cognitive processes. And so I was I was very taken with social psychology in undergraduate. And then when I uh, have I've come back to academia after I, I worked in industry, I won't go through all that detail. Sure, Maybe sure. we'll get there. But um, at, at Villanova, I became interested in the overlap between social and cognitive psychology. And that's where I've ended up in Joseph Toscano's lab and the uh, RAP lab, word recognition and auditory processing lab. And I'm studying kind of how, how those words, how our words might impact our cognitive processes. So the social cognitive overlap. Fascinating, fascinating. That's um, and first of all, you mentioned uh, Joseph Toscano. Um, I believe he is your advisor for your, your yes, project. Yes, yeah. so Dr. Joseph Toscano is my advisor here at uh, Villanova, and he's been my advisor the entire time. I've been very fortunate that I think I I came to Villanova knowing roughly what I wanted to study at an abstract level, and he's really guided me to this point where I was in the 3MT and I've got my thesis going. And so uh, he's been an amazing advisor. What, and, you know, starting in, where where did you grow up, first of all? Yeah, so I grew up in northern New Jersey. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a town called Short Hills, New Jersey. Oh, sure. The Short Short Hills Mall. The Short Hills Mall, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. 
It's what we're known for. <laughs> yeah. And I'm and trying the, to think of something else. The, like. uh, so Short Hills is a weird town in that it is nestled within a larger town called Milburn. Okay. And okay. Milburn has the Milburn Deli. And so uh, whenever I think of home, you know, it's Jersey, a good Jersey deli. Oh, of course. Deli or yeah. diner. Yeah, That's exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, My aunt used to have an apartment right on uh, Milburn Avenue. Oh, this was yeah. this yeah. was back in the 90s. Um, and so that's, you know, I it's funny, my, all, my family is actually all from North Jersey. Um, I've only lived in South Jersey, but so I, you know, just through trips and I you know no firsthand living experiences, but I, I feel like I know some, but that's a, uh, that's a cool, uh, cool place, uh, you know, to, to grow up. I, I imagine. Uh, yeah. 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 It was, it was an interesting place to grow up. Definitely. I uh, felt like I experienced uh, a lot that other kids probably don't experience growing up, uh, living 45 minutes directly west of Manhattan. Yep. There was a senior school lunch challenge where you would go drive into Manhattan, take a selfie with a slice of pizza that you buy in Manhattan, oh, and then drive so back. Awesome. And that was the senior <laughs> challenge. So I don't think a lot of other seniors were doing that. That is, as someone, you know, I, I feel like, it, you know, early on, I, I, could get the adrenaline rush from like driving in cities and and so so that is like i am very envious yeah, that is yeah. like the, and plus i'm also like a geography buff so the fact that you know other kids would take an interest in that is, is oh, yeah. kind of cool yeah so it was very cool very cool and then you ended up Saratoga Springs yeah. for your undergrad. So so I my brother went to Swarthmore College okay. and I am 5 years younger than he is. And so when he went to Swarthmore I got to visit him at one point and to me it was very obvious that we both were attracted to a forested college in Arboretum. Mm. I think a little bit of that is in Villanova. You know, I'm I'm 10 years removed from from my undergrad adventures, but uh, at Villanova I think that You've still got some of that forested area as well. But so Saratoga Springs drew me, Skidmore particularly, because there is this entire forest yeah, right next yeah. to the campus. And you can just go for a two-hour, three-hour hike oh, on, awesome. on, on trails yeah. if you want. And that's something that, you know, you're done with classes on Thursday. You don't have any class on Friday. Just go straight for the, for the hike. And, you, yeah, you're not driving 30 minutes to the place. It's just right there on campus. And that was uh, very, very um, – it was, it was beneficial for me. I think that I grew a lot in terms of autonomy and just doing whatever it is that I wanted to do and feeling emboldened to kind of take it upon myself to like, all right, no, I am going to plan this trip and go and do this after class. Self-organizing. Exactly, yep. exactly, exactly. So um, that's how I ended up in Saratoga Springs. And then after Saratoga Springs, I networked with a friend who lived in San Francisco because I applied, I want to say I sent out, you know, 40, 50 job applications. Most of them were to research uh, lab research positions to be a lab manager or a research assistant of some kind in, within psychology. Sure, sure. And I think I only heard back from two of them, and I never made it past the second interview round. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I, I said, all right, well, I, I need to get a job or I want to get a job. And I networked with a friend who lived in California, and I was fortunate enough to get the job that uh, his company was looking for at the time, UBM. I actually don't know what that acronym stands for, uh, but now they're they're known as Informa. Uh, it was bought out, and so Informa. We, for anyone who's listening that might know Informa or know Black Hat, the conference. It's a cybersecurity conference or uh -huh. GDC Game Developers Conference. It's the uh, designer exhibitor side of E3 in LA, which is the consumer side of the newest games coming out. The GDC side deals with the graphics cards that you need to create the game. To be able to run them, yeah. Exactly, yep. exactly. Yep. So um, those are the two big conferences that I typically name drop if people are like, Informa, what, what is that? What do they do? Yeah, that's exactly, uh, Sure, exactly. no, so, that's... Yeah, um, and and in that capacity, I I leveraged psychology and marketing, and now I'm back at in academia and finishing my master's. That's phenomenal. That's yeah. as as someone who I took, you know, it probably ended up being about eight 
to nine years between actually finishing my undergrad um, and then starting this master's program, which I had, you know, if you asked me like four years ago, um, you know, would I be doing my master's right now? I'd say no way. Um, that perspective, I would think in the workforce and then coming back to school, like, you know, from my vantage point, it's been it, it's been so enlightening. Um, how has that been for you? Um, and then also just talk about how you selected Villanova as well for your uh, for your master's studies. Yeah, no, great questions. Uh, so for the first part, kind of how has my gap been, or how has my gap time been? I guess before coming back to academia and. I completely agree with you in terms of how enlightening it's been, I guess, to say that going into the industry and working a nine to five and mm. and you you don't have summer vacation, you don't have winter vacation, there's no Christmas break. And I, you know, obviously I missed that, but what more moreover, it gave me a sense of direction in terms of what I wanted in my life. So when I was working in industry, I realized by and large, I felt like I was making money for the sake of making money. Yeah. That, yep. that I, I, I didn't feel that I was particularly helping one or two or three people. And, and sure, there are rewarding parts of that job. Going to those conferences like GDC or Black Hat and meeting people who are attending those conferences, absolutely fulfilling and rewarding. Um, but it, to me, doesn't compare to, say, TAing a class or teaching a lab in a class and really helping 30 students get through some structured lab that at the totally end of that right. lab, yep. they're coming away with knowledge that they didn't have at the beginning of that yep. lab. Um, and and another thing is, so I'm, at, I'm in the middle of PhD interviews, and I have heard from people that I talk to that part of what is appealing about my application is that I worked in industry for four years. And so the people who are reading my application are not asking themselves, does this person really want to do this? We're not sure. You know, they've been in academia their whole life and they're just continuing down the path. No, I've taken a pause and I've come back and reiterated not only in the applications, but to myself that I know that this is what I want to do. And the time away from academia made me aware of just how much I wanted to do that. And so how did I choose Villanova? Uh, well, partially driven by the coronavirus. So, you know, <laughs> I, hopefully we're at the end of it, kind of. But, uh, yeah, I'm jinxing it as I say that, I guess. Yeah, we're, so. Cross fingers, cross yeah. fingers. And um, my, so my parents still live in northern Jersey, North Jersey. My brother lives in Manhattan, and I wanted to be closer to my family because they're older. So my girlfriend was kind enough to uh, travel with me. So I met my girlfriend while I was in San Francisco, and her mother isn't as old as my parents, and she's a nurse herself. You know, I, I it's funny when I think of these two, and I'm saying this, you know, the people who are, who are listening to this uh, may be aware of who they are when they hear these things, but I'm thinking about my parents that... They're a little bit older now. and Same boat, same boat and, here. And, and yeah. you want to be able to yep. take care of them should something happen. Yep. And we didn't have that sense of urgency with my girlfriend's mom. My girlfriend's mom, by and large, was her own woman, you know, large and in charge. You don't need to help me. I'll help you, if anything. And so uh, it, it became very apparent that I wanted to be on the East Coast at least, you know, I'm going to be here for two years getting my master's. I should be closer to home. And so I looked all over the tri-state area, really, because that's where I grew up. And I selected Villanova because I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, Sheldon Solomon, my undergraduate advisor at Skidmore College, recommended to me. He said, hey, you should check out Villanova. They've got a really great master's program. How about that? And, and now now here I am two years later, well, three, four years after that conversation at this point. So That's sometimes tying back to, you know, advice from, you know, people who have influenced you and, and, and exactly. look how it's how it's turned out. Uh, we're talking here with Samuel Sinamis, um, graduate student here at Villanova, uh, studying psychology. He took home the top 
top prize in the recently held three-minute thesis competition here at Villanova. Uh, my name is Nick Lang, and you're listening to this WXVNU special. Uh, Sam, great stuff. So I think you know we can start to look, um, and and maybe it was through your through your advisor um, selecting your point of research here, um, the process that sort of went into that. Oh, did oh it, this will be fun. Yeah, did did it change to twists and turns? Um, take us through how that all came up. Let me ask you first because I I am so I'm coming. I'm in the software engineering um, master's program here at Villanova. Yeah, just like psychology, the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so where we don't even have to, where, you know, you asked to take a thesis and people are like, huh? What? Like, so, you know, so it's not required with what I do. I, I presume for you it is. When did you start thinking about, yeah. like, was this before you, you know, so, so take us through um, coming up with your research area. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess taking a step back to undergraduate, I went to a liberal arts school where I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts. And so I actually never did any kind of thesis work at all before coming here. So the thought process that went into this thesis started uh, in undergrad. I became aware of something called Worfian Hypothesis. Have you ever heard of Worfian hypothesis, Nick? I have to say no. I uh, I have a brother who's actually going for his PhD in Jungian psychology. Okay. So I, you know, with osmosis, I gets, but I I, I cannot cannot. Yeah, this that. this not Jungian, <laughs> but it, it. So maybe your brother might be he, aware of he, or have heard of Worfian hypothesis. I, and what the idea is is it's it's an older idea that our language that we speak influences our thoughts. And so there was a very popular movie that came out, I want to say in 2016, called Arrival. I think it's uh, with the guy who plays Hawkeye in Marvel. And it's about this alien species. It's based on a, a, sh a short novel. Uh, short novel. I, sh I don't have to remember the name of the book, but my girlfriend got me that book. And it's a great book. But uh, it's a short novel. And, and Arrival is about this alien species that comes down to earth and basically is trying to speak with people on earth these aliens but we have no understanding of what their language mm. is and so the whole movie is about the uh the realization of what their what the alien language is 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 functionally what the what the movie is about interesting and interesting. and it ties into warfian hypothesis because it's about the idea that the language we speak influences our thoughts and so an example of this is a great study um, I, I'm forgetting the author's name but there's a study that asks participants to arrange pictograph scenes so like a small card that might depict a child with a dog and the child is holding a ball and the next scene shows the ball in midair and the next scene it's a card these are all cards uh, separate from each other shows the ball on the ground and then the dog picking up the ball and bringing it back to the kid is the last one and so you've got these four separate pictographs and if you ask a person who speaks english natively to arrange these cards they will arrange them from left to right if you ask someone who speaks Chinese natively to arrange these cards in chronological order, they might arrange them top to bottom. Interesting. And if you ask someone who speaks Hebrew naturally, uh, primarily, they might arrange it from right to left. And so it's just a very simple example of the idea that the language we are speaking and reading and seeing and, into, and, and engaging with every day influences how we think about the world around us. Totally, totally. And so I was very struck by that idea. And um, I I had this weird idea. And for anyone who's listening, you know, if you want to go and study this, please do. The idea that uh, in English language, it is the only language to capitalize the letter I at every instance of its existence in a sentence. Mm. So when you say the sentence, I am going to the store and I will buy milk. You capitalize the I at the beginning of the sentence and I will buy milk. Yep. You're capitalizing the I at the middle of the sentence because it's a rule in English. Just what we learned. That's don't but, really think about but it. Yeah, that doesn't exist in, let's say, French or Russian or Spanish or Japanese or Chinese. And so every other language doesn't have that implicit rule. And so I was very struck by, you know, why, does that have an effect? Does that impact our, our personality? And, you know, long story short, I was dissuaded from 
going down that rabbit hole. A, because nobody at Villanova is specifically studying that, so it's kind of niche. And secondly, uh, there is some evidence that the, the the personality traits I was interested in were not as clear-cut as I might have thought. And so uh, one professor kind of gave me information to say, you know, this might not be an accurate hypothesis. Let's look at something else. Uh, but my advisor, Joseph Toscano, uh, gave me some reading and kind of we just were talking. You know, I so I will say I'm slightly different in that I have been having weekly meetings with Dr. Joseph Toscano basically since I got to Villanova, which is not how a lot of these students in the program proceed with their advisors. Sometimes they'll wait, you know, six months or a year before, before settling yep. on that thesis advisor. A year is, you know, hopefully by the, by the summer of your first year, hopefully you, have you ought to know, yeah. but that's... Some you know sometimes it happens, and uh, so he gave me some reading, and we and we ended up settling on a guy named Herbert Clark, who came up with this idea called common ground. When we are having a conversation with someone, we develop common ground over time. It's kind of a naturalistic phrase. You have common ground totally, with someone. Totally, totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, but in, in the term of psycholinguistics specifically, it's the idea that there is a mutual understanding of information at hand. Uh, so, you know, I guess, for example, um, it, I talked about Worfian hypothesis, and I didn't just proceed to talk about Worfian hypothesis. I prefaced it with what it is because I knew... I would have had no clue. No None, clue. you know, Worfian. Nor I, should you. Nor should you. <laughs> nor should you have any. No, but that's, that's just it. You know, try to get us on, you know, in, in a five-minute span on as equal footing as possible as far as, you know, that that makes a, from my perspective, a much more valuable, you know, portion of the conversation, just having some sort of context. Exactly. That's, exactly. And yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it would be more enriching for you as, as the person who is being filled in to the common ground yep, there. Yep. And so we shifted from that Worfian hypothesis stuff to Herbert Clark and common ground. And, and I was interested in the idea that it seems to me as though, to some extent, we would have to know what our conversational partners know or do not know. You know, for instance, like I'm assuming that you didn't know that Worfian hypothesis there. And the only way that I can do that is, in my opinion, to some degree, model your mental state. You Interesting. Know, the theory Interesting. of mind. Yep. Kind of think about, you know, Nick Langan. Is Nick Langan, the software engineer, radio host guy, going to have explicit detail about Worfian hypothesis? Probably not. Good is what assumption. I'm, yeah, yeah, what I'm saying yeah. in my mind. And so how does what I just did impact goal-directed conversations, uh, conversations that have a specific purpose where we are trying to convey a specific piece of information to another party, how does modeling the party's mental states, how does using theory of mind maybe facilitate those types of interactions? And so that's that's what I'm looking at in terms of my uh, thesis. And it's kind of a, it's not quite what I started off with. You know, it's not Worfian hypothesis, but it's it's looking at the way our personality impacts how we talk and how we engage with people. That's, that's, and, and I think, I think, I think for like a really rewarding thesis, first of all, like the fact that you changed that after advice, after talking with a professor you mentioned that it's, you know, getting this new piece of information, the fact that it evolved, like, I think that's, first of all, like what you want out of this whole process, correct? That it sort of takes on its own form after consulting with experts in your field. Um, that's got the fact that it wasn't exactly what you yeah. envisioned to begin with. That's got to be rewarding, oh, I, I would think. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I encourage anyone who is going to be applying to master's program or PhD, well, maybe PhD program, you probably do already have a specific idea in mind, but for master's programs, you need to be open to the idea that you may be told no. I was told no, my idea was maybe not the best idea to pursue for a master's thesis, and that's okay. Yeah, There is yep. nothing wrong with that's that. That's not, no, don't take know, it as a personal yeah, affront. No, or, the, yeah. the professor that gave me the information to tell me I was wrong wasn't like, ha ha, you're wrong, Sam. <laughs> no, it's just, I'm sorry to that's tell his, you this. That's his duty. He wouldn't be doing his job exactly. if he didn't. That's, exactly, and, and you're right. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a rewarding experience to kind of have your thesis grow and and understand, integrate new information, 
and reframe your thinking about the world with that new information. Now, talk about I, you know, what I would think you were able to draw most of your conclusions from. Again, we're talking with uh, Samuel Sinamus, a graduate student here at Villanova, um, studying psychology, and he did. You know, I think this was over summer 2021 doing an experiment with a, a two groups and looking at uh, basically um, with this theory of mind, um, one group that had the additional information, one didn't putting Legos together. Yeah, can, 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 yeah. can fill us in. I, I just first I there, maybe there's only so much you can classify too, um, which is totally cool. Um, but like how that would even be conducted and trying to control all the factors with the little I know of statistics and, and doing these kind of experiments. Oh, that's, that's a good good question. And I guess this is the 3MT on steroids because now I have to yeah, try and convey this, is, this over so, radio. So, you know, so I, maybe not three hours but 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 you got some time here so you know so yeah so let's see where, where do we start um so basically in a in a scientific i'm quote air quotes here for people who can't see my fingers everyone a scientific experiment you separate a group one is experimental and one is your control group typically you know you can have some kind of variation but you need a baseline of some kind if you don't have one and so the at the outset participants are paired together. If you are paired together, you're in the same group. So participants are either in the experimental or the control. If they're in the experimental group as a pair, these two participants would come into our lab and they would be given a, th a theory of mind inventory. And this theory of mind inventory was simply a means of priming them to make them more conscientious, more aware of their partner's thoughts they didn't these people these two people presumably did not know each other before getting into our lab so it's not like they're friends it's not like they're best buddies sure sure and um so they're these two people then are given this theory of mind inventory in the hope that it primes them to be more cognizant more aware of their partner's thoughts and the reason we went with uh so we what we then have these people do is build lego models together they are unable to see each other's workspace. And one participant has a complete Lego model in front of them, and the other has the disassembled pieces in front of them. And so the job of the participant with the completed model is to tell the other participant how to build an exact replica of the model that's in front of them. Mm. But they can't see without eyesight and so you're, you're relying and these are not complicated models these are very these are smaller models they're not meant to be um challenging if you know if you could see the completed model and the disassembled pieces side by side you would build it in two minutes or less just based on looking at it and so uh the theory here is that by giving participants the theory of mind prime they are uh, more likely to model their the partner's mental states and the the effect that it has on the conversation is that it may make you more efficient and faster at developing that common ground that we talked about so they may be uh, better at kind of aligning what lego pieces they are talking about in a specific moment if you say uh, so for example some of the lego models have multiple pieces that are the same color the same shape uh, and so there might be two or three red squares in a model but there might also be a red rectangle and so if you just say something like take the red piece and put it on top of the blue piece if you're not uh, conscientious enough, yep. you might not realize that they're picking up the red rectangle as opposed to the red square. And this is very minute stuff that, you know, obviously the consequences of, of placing the red square versus rectangle is not catastrophic minuscule, in, in minuscule sure, in, the, sure. in the grand scheme of humanity. But it's, it's trying to assess the baseline of, all right, you know, is theory of mind impacting our conversational skills basically is the way that we go about thinking about other people's thoughts impacting our language and and i believe and hypothesize that yes it is and and so that's what i'm aiming to do here is by giving i've separated the two groups and i'm giving the experimental condition the theory of mind prime and the control condition 
gets a very similar prime, but it, it eliminates the theory of mind activation. And I've shown that there are differences in errors and completion times. So how fast they build it and how uh, accurately they build these Lego models. And the only real conclusion that we can draw from this, because they can't see the models, yep. they can only talk with each other, is that the differences lie in the linguistic production, whatever is going on conversationally. And so that's that's what I hope to do in my PhD is kind of PhD is to take the extension from my master's and and analyze the linguistic components more in detail, uh, proving the behavioral aspect difference in my master's. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating, and and I how, hope I hope that made sense for everybody. No, I, I think and, and like how do you like how do you even somebody with with you know no knowledge of of, of coordinating something like this like how do you gather participants is that something that you have to do through the department um is that sort of like an open invite and then um was it a struggle last summer i know you know there were more coronavirus related restrictions then versus now although we did have the i guess down dip uh, with the delta until that um but 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 how did that all go sort of orchestrating um putting this sort of uh group together for for research yeah so uh fortunate enough to have villanova support us here so i guess i uh, think about last summer we were fortunate enough that we started collecting this data after the first uh, the the end of the first wave or the second wave yep. of coronavirus okay. and that's okay. in the summertime and so they they kind of uh, laxed up a little bit if you will and said all right you know as long as people are wearing masks uh, you can you can go back to having more than one participant nice. in the lab nice. at a time and that was the big challenge for me so uh, before that moment we had been restricted i believe to only having one person in the lab at a time and i'm actually not 100 percent sure about that we may not have had anybody allowed mm. to be in the lab last uh last spring i'm really trying to remember that now but for me in the summer regardless we we got those rules lifted up the time was right yeah, the time was yeah. right and so uh, we recruited through villanova's system villanova has a uh recruitment system where typically so this is a, a phenomenon in the world of psychology called the sophomore paradox it's um it's the fact that almost all psychology experiments are conducted on sophomore college students oh interesting yeah that i did yeah. not I, so, wow yeah wow. It's, and it's a it's a it's a achilles heel it really is it's not a good thing it's a bad thing um but that's what we have to work with and so there's a recruitment system within villanova uh, typically all psychology freshmen and sophomore who are taking some kind of research methods class or an introduction to psychology class will have a mandatory credit component that is derived from participating in studies. And I actually, funny enough, did not have difficulty getting participants because we kind of flared up my the title. Come solve puzzles with participants, <laughs> like something like the that. Legos like, so, is yeah, such well, a. Well, we didn't say Legos. Okay. You can't say Legos. You can't get copyright. Like, brand, brand, or no, just like you can't be too specific. Okay. Okay. You have to remain vague while providing some specific details. Yep. And so we just said you'll get to solve puzzles with a partner. That's was like the, the title. Yeah, that's the, all you need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just that alone. That, people, people were coming into the, Oh, the, that's phenomenal. That's, and I got, um, I want to say I did all of the data collection in about a week, which is not good. Uh, the reason for that is because, and, and we can get into this at some point later was because I was dealing with personal issues from my dog uh, needing spinal surgery Ooh. over last summer. So, oh, yeah, the, he's doing great now, and he's going to be itching for me to get home. But that, <laughs> that definitely interrupted uh, I, a little bit of the flow last summer. And so I ended up collecting all that data very, very quickly before the semester started last summer. I know I just having had one dog, unfortunately, who passed away from it but uh for the kidney problem yeah, and and that's like that's it, it it really is when people say it's like a family member yeah. they really are so I, I i can imagine but that's wow to do that in a week that uh that's <laughs> i'm just trying to envision knowing what i know about you know data collection oh, I, and, I can every day every day i was on the train i was i mean and again this goes back to the what we just talked about with 
how working in industry has helped me. Yeah. And treating it like a job. Yes. And like I was, I'm not, you know, I'm not waking up at 11 a.m., strolling in at 1 p.m. and heading out by 4. No. I was up at 6 a.m. to get here by 8 a.m. so that I could run participants from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. at the end of the summer. And that's the type of work that needs to be done. And I, and I didn't feel like I was getting dragged into the, the office, quote unquote, the air quotes here again, everybody. Yep, yep. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. That's... It was fun. And and that's the real, the, again, all the realizations and the affirmation of, no, this is what I want to do. where you belong. This is where I belong. That's, exactly. uh, and I love that. Because that's, you know, and again, I think I I think only a little experience in the workforce, you know, maybe you're lucky enough to, to have that, you know, I don't want to even say work ethic, but I, I think that that sort of preps you. But then if you can actually parlay that into something you're doing, obviously, you know, this still on an academic level, but, but if you're taking, I think it's the best of both worlds when you're able to take like academic research, but treat it. It, which not everybody does, and that's fine. Everybody's motivations are different, yep. but you can get so much more out of it. Um, so that's just awesome to hear because I, I I feel that way with, with, with what I've been studying. Um, so you know, talking about so I think what you're what you're doing is so interesting, and I say that from kind of a I, I don't know how much you've looked into it, but kind of like from a and like an introvert extrovert perspective that that's something that that sort of interested me because I, I I've always actually been like a a you know a devout introvert I, I guess you could say we've, uh, ta- we've taken over the world yeah. during the pandemic <laughs> we okay. really this has been our time to shine <laughs> it really has that's you know there, there's a small part of me that you know everything's sort of quote unquote again air quotes coming back to normal again this you know, you can debate that. Um, but you know, the, the zoom, I, I love the zoom classes. Um, you know, I, I, I love the built in excuse not to socialize, although <laughs> I've, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten better in that regard. Um, but you know, so that's where, but having these, you know, and I say this, you brought this up in your, your three minute thesis presentation too. I'm um, thinking about the job interview use case, um, or situations like that when you're trying to get to a goal, but there's very much like an art to conducting that conversation. Um, it's just so relevant in so many different, exactly. you know, applications. Um, I guess the first thing I like, would you, like for practical use of this, like yeah. would, would you first caution anything to like overanalyzing? Because I, I know that's, that is something I am extremely guilty of. Like every conversation, every, I always think about like what the person I'm talking to is going to, is going to think if I say this or that in, in every scenario. So I, I'm probably guilty of taking it to an extreme. Um, but maybe, maybe just talk about, you know, from soup to nuts, just like practical use of goal directed conversations and maybe some of the pitfalls with, with maybe overthinking it. As yeah, well. no, it's a, it's a very good point. And I think, so I guess addressing the idea of overthinking and extroversion versus introversion, I see the idea of overthinking as the, the tail end of the spectrum of how theory of mind, how mentalizing might impact a, a conversation. It's an, it's a very important point that you brought up the idea that it's not just, it, it, it can be harmful at a certain point as much as it could potentially be beneficial. And I definitely agree with you, and I myself probably fall into that category sometimes, that overanalyzing a situation can do more harm than good. Uh, and, and I think that that still fits within the framework, the idea that this is a variable that it, it's pro- it not, it's not proving my point, but it's speaking to my point, the idea that there is that variability that some people overanalyze a lot of stuff. Some people don't think about it at all. Yep. And I'm really kind of looking at that middle ground. Gotcha. But those yeah. two, the, the two ends of the spectrums are still important to, uh, to properly represent what's going on here. Because if, if everybody only fell in the middle, then there should be no differences in my results. Then we're and we're all everyone's like, the yep. same and it yep. doesn't matter, but it, it does. And so I think that it is an important point. And then as far as practical use in everyday function. I, I won't say that I have thought about the tool or how to use it in an everyday function, but the, the way that I see it uh, most paralleling or most applicable is, I guess, you know, kind of like conscientiousness, some mindfulness, awareness stuff. 
And and for those of you who are listening who may not like all of that mumbo jumbo, if you think it's mumbo jumbo, that's fair. But I'm coming from the world of psychology. I think it's valuable. I agree. Um, I agree. And and I think it's important that you know you spend some part of your day. It you don't have to call it practicing mindfulness, but just being aware of the fact that there are so many thoughts and feelings and opinions outside of your own or right around you every day. You know, you're driving by them in your cars. There's someone in that car next to you. Uh, you're walking across a light. And so it's the idea that if you just take, you know, five, 10 minutes of your day and you, you take a little peace and quiet. And I, I don't actually know any quote unquote mindfulness techniques specifically, uh, which I, 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 I'm not going to say meditate, but along those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. I think that's so, you know, and again, getting to like, you know, the whole introvert advantage or, but I think there's a, an art to reading the room sometimes or, or, or just, whereas maybe if you're, you know, I don't want to say if you don't have time for it, but if you're, if, if you're just sort of, you know, speaking out, acting out without thinking, yeah. um, sometimes there's certain you know, cues or, or just things you can sense. And again, you can't overdo it, but I, I totally agree. Like I do actually think, you know, knocking myself a little bit, but like the, the more valuable conversations, uh, that I end up having or, 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 or the ones that at least I enjoy, like if you, if you go into them with a little bit of a plan, maybe just, you know, what the other person might be going through, um, you know, cause again, particularly nowadays, like we all have personal challenges, battles, like just some sort of, yeah, just empathetic mindset. Um, I, and, and just, you know, and, getting back to even talking about, you know, hiking around Saratoga for me, like, you know, walks, hikes, which I yeah, do quite yeah. a bit of on the weekends. And like, those are just so valuable. Just that, that quiet time to sort of reassess, um, the whole, you know, I sometimes tell this story, like the whole reason I went back to Villanova and I, I really credit from like doing a hike, uh, you know, by me in the Pinelands. I was hating my IT job. I, you know, wanted to figure out. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> familiar. <laughs> Don't we all in IT? Um, and like, what am I going to do next? And and so that just, that, that you know, it, no, no matter how small, like I was trying to figure out like an exit strategy and, and, and that's where it hatched. So, um, I actually think it can go a long way. So I think that's like a wonderful practical use, uh, point. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I don't think it can be minimized enough. I, I, I think that's awesome. Um, have you, you know, in terms of the reach of, you know, and maybe, and we can get into a little bit of, of the ramifications of, of three minute thesis, but, um, from your peers, from people in your program, um, what has the reception been to your studies? Um, and, and in, in your estimation, this is what you, you want to extend this with wherever you go as a PhD student. That is yes, correct as yeah, well. Hopefully that's the, the fingers crossed. Uh, so the reception has been buying, I mean, well, I guess the reception to the three M or the reception to the idea overall? We, we could start with the idea. The idea uh, we'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll dive into the three MT particulars. I'd, I'd say after, but, but I, I, yeah, I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah. yeah just, just practice, you know, with presenting, you know, obviously advisor or anybody within your program, I, I'd, I'd be curious or, or outside that as well. Maybe people you consult with. Uh, yeah. So the, the reception has been by and large, very positive. What was the biggest barrier to starting this research and making this a thesis was the skepticism that we would be able to influence something like theory of mind. That it, 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 it was kind of a wild shot that you could give someone a, an inventory. And so I should expand on the idea of an, in a theory of mind inventory. When I say that uh, it is, a piece of paper that has little vignettes on it that asks people questions about stories that make them think about the thoughts of the the story characters. And so it's forcing you to engage in theory of mind gotcha. by representing these story. So I feel, feel bad just saying theory of mind. In sure. Sure. Yeah. No, that helps. That, um, yeah. And so by it was, there was some skepticism that just by giving this inventory, it would have any effect at all. That, you know, it, 
it 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 wasn't uh like giving someone a sad story about a, a man divorcing his wife and then losing his dog from cancer and it's not like there's something to evoke sadness or evoke happiness like oh you're reading about a woman who discovered the cure for cancer like we can prime people to be sad or happy or angry and there are studies that have done that and those are very classic studies with personality items but this was different because this is a much more abstract concept. It's it's established. Theory of mind is established. Sure, sure. But almost no research is done on adult populations, neurotypical populations. Almost all of the research is for theory of mind is done on a quote unquote atypical children who have like autism or Down syndrome or something else where they lack a social component to properly engage in theory of mind. That's where almost all of the research has been done. And I think it's a very intuitive fact from my from my side saying the idea that some people, and we just discussed this, that some people are better or worse at empathizing with or mentalizing or imagining what someone else is thinking. I think it's a very intuitive statement, but we haven't shown that in the world of psychology. And But what we have shown is that to some degree, some people are, are more or less kind of spontaneous is the way that I put it, that they are more or less likely to engage with theory of mind. So an example here is like someone sitting on a bus and a, two, uh, two people sitting on a bus and they're surrounded by people. One of those people may be thinking about all the thoughts of the people around them. And the other person may just be thinking about what they're having for dinner when they get home. Yep. And yep. so that that has been studied to some degree, and that has been documented. But that's not talking about the accuracy of representing a person's mental state. That's simply just saying the, the spontaneity. And so that's the angle that we've gone with as far as kind of trying to provide the academic validity for why something like a, a theory of mind inventory might make people more inclined uh, to use theory of mind is because we know that there is this spontaneous distribution. Some people are different, uh, whereas we do not know yet uh, the idea of accuracy is not yet established. Interesting. And so that was where the skepticism was. Uh, the, the kind of reception for, all right, we're going to go with it, was what I would just explain. And then another study, um, Krish Applebaum is the the person who um, we we were inspired by for the Legos. So this woman basically did the exact same thing, except she did correlational. And she just as, <clears throat> she just assessed. So I'm going to take a sip of water. Go go right ahead. We're uh, we're talking with uh, Samuel Sinemis, our uh, three minute thesis winner competition uh, here at Villanova. He's a, a graduate student. Uh, just a fascinated conversation on uh, on on the results of goal based conversations. Uh, his study here uh, in the psychology program. Uh, so yeah. So so con- continue with with, with uh, the the. Um, Chris's uh, yeah, Chris, yeah, Lego. Chris, Chris, Chris Applebaum. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, so and and they had this study that we were inspired by that originally had the Legos in it, and when they looked at the correlational analyses, they could see an incredible amount of the what's called variance. So the differences, the variance in ability to complete Lego models was uh, owed to the correlations in theory of mind. And I think it was like 43% or something like that, which was which was a very, very large number. It's an, it's an extremely large um, number for variance-based sure, sure. studies. Yep. Like the difference between each person can be, 43% of that difference can basically be accounted for in uh, individuals' theory of mind capabilities. And so that was a, a big push for my advisor to kind of get excited about it as well saying like oh man this this there's seems like there's some here. potential here yeah. like yeah, yeah we should we, you know and even if we don't find anything even if my even if the ultimate results are insignificant i think that that is still something to be valued in terms of a study because of the fact that there are so few studies on adults that it needs to be documented that maybe there are no differences okay well let's establish but at least that. that's so it, it you know in many ways would you consider yourself sort of a trailblazer as far as going oh, 100%, down this, that's, 100%. That's, that's awesome. And, and that's, that's, and that's, so that's kind of like the other idea for my PhD is if I don't just do a direct extension, I might do some kind of work related to elucidating more on theory of mind and adults, because that's something that I've realized I'm very interested in, in the world of psychology. And, and I think it needs the work that there is just almost no 
no research to date on adults and theory of mind and the individual differences between adults and theory of mind. That's fast. No, I mean, that's wonderful. I can, you know, again, just, just thinking about instances in my daily life, like how useful that would be, I think, again, just, just trying to, you know, day-to-day conversations, not always my strong suit. And I feel like, you know, if there was, um, you know, tactics that theoretically came about from this or just, you know, just the research itself, I think is fascinating. To show, yeah, exactly. To show like, you know, maybe I don't think about a person's thoughts accurately and that's okay. And knowing that you don't do that maybe helps you become more accurate. You know, I don't know. I don't, yeah, something like that. That's awesome. That's, well, and then, I think that can 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 sort of transition us into polishing all of this for three minute thesis. Now, first, I know you participated in the uh, research symposium that uh, the uh, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, the graduate program, uh, did back in October, uh, which was a really cool event. I participated in that as well, um, and so that sort of prime you um, for ending up participating in three minute thesis, um, talk about sort of the lead up, um, and then, you know, the whole nine yards, the day of the three minute thesis, um, you coming in first, I taking the second place crown, sadly. <laughs> um, no, no, it was awesome. Um, you know, it, it, but just, uh, you know, if, if, you know, you could get into your whole experience, how beneficial maybe your, your emotions through the process. Cause that, you know, talking again, just having gone through it myself, um, you know, that whole lead up, um, again, not, 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 not that it was like a huge audience there or anything, but, um, you know, you, you put a hey, lot we of, don't, pr- we don't know how many were online. That's there might've been a hundred <laughs> people looking, watching online. <laughs> we still don't know. They never said as far as like hits or so, so we could have had, you know, the entire community and in trying to do those kind of events still, there's still some like, you know, should I go? Should I, cause there, you know, I know there were a couple of people who were interested in attending. And so, um, but you know, so that, that was sort of a, and, and just the whole converting your research, yeah. you know, which is the whole idea of three minute thesis into something relatable, which I think you did a wonderful job of. I'm not just saying that. Oh, thank you. Um, so just talk about that, your whole experience, maybe, you know, even if the symposium sort of, uh, prepped you for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'll take a step back and just talk broadly about, uh, speaking and presentation skills and everything. And this sure. goes back to industry as well. The idea that, uh, in undergrad, I always enjoyed giving presentations, which was the 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 weird anomaly. Most people don't enjoy getting up in front of a classroom, and most people don't enjoy giving speeches. And I've never really been afraid of public talking or or giving those presentations. And so, um, I, I've always kind of been inclined towards these types of activities. And the way that I ended up in the fall symposium, putting together my work, was basically uh, I, I kind of went sentence by sentence with my girlfriend almost and and just like as if she understood it then it was good great barometer but if she didn't yeah. understand it then then so i need to keep reworking Rework, it. Yeah, i need to rework that's it. that's and um, i think i you know i wrote it out in about i i, I wrote out the three-minute thesis while i was talking it and and so i literally wrote it on a piece of paper typed it out as i'm talking through it and I got it down to roughly three minutes. And from there, you know, I think I had like extra stuff in the beginning. I think for the the fall symposium, I talk about the specific size of each experimental or control group. But then I kind of omitted that for the the um, most recent 3MT competition from a difference between the fall and the 3MT. So the idea that it hasn't remained static. I mean, it's pretty static now. I think I'll make maybe one change for for regional, but it's it's this evolving machine that started very 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 rudimentary and 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 I was creating it for an audience that was the 3MT audience. And so I think that that's where I'm very lucky. But what I will say is that I think anyone who's getting into the 3MT or this type of uh, competition or, or just synthesizing their research to a layman's audience, if you are not going to reach out to anybody outside of your audience, 
don't be surprised if you ultimately fail. And so what I mean by that is that I, I, I talked with my girlfriend, but I would have been as happy to talk with, you know, if I saw Nick at some random place. No, I, I don't know if I would have gone up to Nick randomly and made him suffer through he my could have, I could I have. Mean, no, but that's the idea that it's it's just being okay with asking people outside of your direct profession or your direct interest area to listen to what it is that you're saying. And I think that that was the most important part was having someone to bounce those ideas off of who should not know what your ideas are before you are talking with them. Um, so that was a very helpful part. And then, you know, polishing up for the 3MT was, we have I'm very, very minor amount of work, more so making sure that it actually fit into the time constraint than, than not. Which I, you know, I, I also respected, you know, I think most of us went like, you know, two forty something, or it, you, you got like every second <laughs> down to the wire, down to the wire. Which that's hey, I mean, get 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 all your thoughts in. Um, no, that's and I think um, you know, I, I I there's definitely an art to it, and I think I, I think what was so cool about your presentation, um, you know, is that like you even you even posed a question which i thought was you know how many and that was that was that was not how i did the false no yeah. that I, I so that was a big change that was i forgot about that was a very big change and who helped me with that uh I'll credit i don't know if she's probably not listening because she's an older woman who lives in my apartment building evelyn ishmael if you're listening <laughs> thank you evelyn uh, evelyn is a woman who lives in my apartment complex and i talked with her about this and i said you know hey i'm thinking about changing the opening and she she did watch me she watched me on the 3mt uh, so, uh live stream so and but i don't know if she's, she's probably not listening to the radio right now but uh, she gave me the feedback so i'm like yeah i think i think that'll work that'll work okay but it, that was a I was very nervous about that because I, I had a feeling it would work, but I had no idea if it would work because I hadn't asked, you know, 10 people at the same time. I kind of just tried it there. Sort of have to go with yeah, yeah, exactly, that's exactly. Evelyn. But I think that I think that really was a, a crucial point for the 3MT, a starting by asking a question. Nobody else did Nobody that. Nobody else did it. It was, Nobody else you know, did it. it was a nice and, and, and it's it draws you in. That is a great, um, it's funny you talk about like, public speaking and, and, you know, how that's with most undergraduate students that that's probably frowned upon. Um, I actually do like, you know, I, I was able to take, um, a public speaking class here. Uh, Callie Stahl was the professor who was actually in attendance at oh, three minute thesis. That's really cool. Um, I had no idea that we offered public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, she, she actually works for the library and I guess the library was sponsoring the three minute thesis event. And it was so cool. Cause I actually, you know, again, for me, the thought to be like doing something like that, like a few years ago. Um, although just like you, like working in the business world, I think helped as well. Um, doing, you know, impromptu, you know, for me in the IT world, it was a lot of phone conversations. Oh, yeah. um, you've got to be able to speak to like, you know, business people, customer level. Um, so that really helped. And then doing this, doing, you know, radio podcasting. Um, but I really credit like the public speaking, just forming presentations. And I remember, maybe I should have, should have, uh, you know, <laughs> taken from this. <laughs> <laughs> she had mentioned starting off with a conversation, but that's like drawing your audience in. Cause that's, you know, you also, you were going, you know, you were going last when we were talking about that. So you, yeah. you know, you've got to like, um, there are certain ploys. Um, and then I just, I, I think that, you know, it, it was mean, your, your subject was meaningful. It, 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 it affects all of us. Um, and yet you didn't um, talk just talking about the experiment. Like it didn't. Whereas, you know, I think other subjects, the, the could, neurobiological chemistry makeup uh, of our uh, brain. Exact, is, that's ooh. like, hello, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not the right person to talk because like, you know, designing a, a piece of software for listening to radio stations was my subject. That's like, you know, n n nobody's going to like, you know, misunderstand that. Um, but you, but, and you also did a great job too. You should, you know, pat yourself on the back that you did. I think uh, your design and the software is extremely difficult but then the way that you conveyed the ideas was was perfect in my opinion i appreciate that i, I you know i i think it's just again it, it's really one of those things with experience yeah. so that's where you know i think it, it's lucky and again I, I come back to the fact that being able to like revisit do this graduate experience for me being in my 30s now um has been awesome like i don't ever take that for granted um so but i that's why i just i find it fascinating to talk to you just because you, you 
you did have that, you know, at least brief bit of work experience. Um, and and I, I just, I love that shared kind of perspective. Oh, yeah, so, totally. We, we have uh, common ground. We exactly. Common that ground. There we exactly. go. That, that, exactly. <laughs> we're seeing it, uh, you know, in action right here. Um, so, Samuel, uh, this has been so cool. Um, I guess, you know, to, to sort of... I, when, you know, so take us a little bit, like your PhD seeking process, like, do you need to have like a, you know, I'm just, I, I'm doing just a completely horrible job with my job search process, <laughs> like couldn't be worse. You know, I'm just banking on the fact that everybody says this is like the best time for like a, you know, a new grad quote unquote, um, to be looking for a job. I'm going to test that theory to its fullest talking about, you know, doing I think like as a, a software engineer, you'll be okay. <laughs> I think you'll be better than I would be in, your, in, in a psychology going to try and find a psychology job. No, nah, I, I, it's funny. Like I want to put you in touch with my brother too, who's like, who I think there's some similarities like, and, and he's actually quitting his job now to finish his PhD. Um, his job that he really hates, um, that has nothing to do with psychology, but just so maybe a little bit about the, you know, cause I think this would be interesting for either fellow graduate students or, or, or just undergrads who might be thinking taking it, you know, up a notch to, you know, their graduate studies and then beyond, like what's going into your PhD seeking process? Are there schools that are on the short list? I, pr I imagine you, Villanova does not offer a PhD. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, Villanova does not have a PhD in psychology program. Um, so the, the, the PhD process has been different than how I imagined it when I had no master's experience and as I think it should be. And so for anyone who um, is going straight from undergrad, what you should be aware of when you are applying to PhD programs is that unlike master's where I just, if you've listened to this whole interview, gone through the idea that uh, a thesis can evolve over time and kind of change as for a master's, for a PhD you should have almost the entire idea of what it is that you are going to study to some degree, and by some degree, I mean probably like 75%, mm. 80% figured out. Okay, okay. And the reality with that is because your advisor is going to want to integrate you as seamlessly as possible into whatever work they are doing on campus at that time. And so uh, I'll give you an example of this is uh, I'm looking at Kent State University ah, in Ohio. I'm, I'm from two towns over oh, Aurora. Cool. So I yeah, can, should, I can, should, I can yeah, give you absolutely. all the tips, places yeah, some, to go, places not to go. Yeah, I, so if that ends up being your, but not very cool. Um, and so Jenny, uh, Jenny Roche is a woman who does uh, theory of mind research and, and goal-directed conversation, extremely similar, almost identical to the type of research that I'm doing here at Villanova. And that is a perfect fit. That is one. That's something that is a perfect fit because it's when I when or if I go to Kent State, uh, it wouldn't take me long, if at all, any time to kind of pick up the work that they are doing in their lab because awesome. because we already have common ground. Yep. Yep. And otherwise, you know, you end up applying to these PhD programs, and you know, maybe they sound good because they're reputable. But the people doing research there have no idea what you're looking at. And, and you know, this is the reality of any type of person entering any real either academia or yep. industry. If you are the new kid on the block, you don't get to choose what it is you're doing proactively. Exactly. You, and, and I don't want to say that in the, in the sense that I'm unhappy doing the research that I'm doing. It's just the fact that I have to align my research with research that already exists sure, in the world. Sure, sure. Yep. And I'm happy to do that. And maybe in the future when I have more credit to my name in the world of psychology, then I can try and p pioneer some research. But for the time being, for any PhD program that I, I'm looking at, I'm really placing research interests first. And so that's where Kent State and UC Merced have become appealing to me because okay. there are professors there who do exactly the type of research that I'm doing. Um, I, I've gone, I've given applications to other places like NYU that I submitted purely for geographical convenience, and it's a reputable school. But to be honest, I had it was a shot in the dark. It was like throwing darts at a dartboard and seeing what stuck because I didn't have a particular professor that I said, oh, I know I want to work with you because you and I are doing the exact same research. And and I'll be honest, I got rejected from NYU. And that's not, I, I don't 
that's not their problem. That's not, not their fault. I'm not, exp- I'm not surprised. I would have been surprised if I had gotten in. And so that's the reality of how to go about a PhD um, uh, application process is you, you need to prioritize research first and research interests first. And, and the other aspect is that uh, having worked with Joe for a year, Joseph Toscano, he then connected me with these people who are doing this same research because he knew yeah. that they were doing that research. I would, I, I may have found them on my own given enough time. You know, I probably would have gone down sure, the academic sure. paper trails yep. and like, all right, this author, this they're author, oh, I see these authors. Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. Um, but, but that to, saved but, you. But that saved me yep. probably th- three months, three months of time where I'm just looking online Could and I have no everything. idea. Yeah, okay. yeah, and, and, and I say three months with zero confidence. I may have never found these people if not for my advisor. Um, so a lot of credit goes to Villanova because they're hiring the type of people who should be leading these master's programs. They really do. A lot of yep. credit to Dr. Joseph Toscano. Um, and yeah, it's it's tough. Prioritize research interests and talk with your advisor about all of that. That's great. That's yeah. great advice. Um, I'd actually be remiss if I didn't uh, put in a plug, if you could talk about it a little bit. So, I mean, the three-minute thesis, you conquered it here but the journey is not over. Oh, it's not, no. Um, so, you know, talk about talk about your thoughts too. I think they originally were going to have the regional competition for the Northeast Regional Schools um, in Quebec City. Um, that would have been fun. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. But, you know, maybe for, I don't know, stress levels, I don't know if it is something that would stress you out. Um, you're doing it virtually. Talk about the date um, because we all, I think we all as a Villanova community should make sure we're logged on that day. Um, I believe they're going to have another audience vote. Um, but can if you happen to know the particulars, very poor job as a host. I, I no, tried no, to no. I, um, but <laughs> I think so. I think uh, I'm 95% confident that the date is April 28th. I think that's right. It's yep. on April 28th. Uh, it is virtual, as Nick just said. What I am still waiting on is whether it's virtual and live okay. or virtual okay. and recorded, because I can see live being an issue in terms of lagging on sure. a virtual call. That's, yep, we've all could been there. ruin yep. someone's three minutes. Oh, easily. So you know it is what it is. But uh, the the preparation. So I definitely am looking to to just minor tweak uh, the last sentence or two on the take-home message because I ended the 3MT with, uh, I think it was like, I'm uh, thank you for your time and I'm happy to answer any questions, but there was no Q&A, so I didn't <laughs> answer any questions. Yeah, so I need to just change the the, the last two yeah, sentences the, there. Just a, 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 a closing thought exactly, or, exactly. you know, which that can, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can come up with and, something. That's... And I'm hoping uh, Dean, I've talked with, I haven't gotten a response yet, but I've talked with uh, Dean Woodard's office. What I'm hoping to do is because I feel like uh, at a computer, it's a handicap compared to me on a stage. I've, I think I have a good I agree with presence. that. You were moving at yeah. the gyrations that, no, that was, <laughs> that was good. No, I mean, that's all, you know, it's all part uh, of it. that it's is, all part of that's it. part of the, that, that is part of the, part of the whole package. Yeah. That's exactly so right. What I'm hoping they support is that uh, if it's, if it's live, we'll see what we can do if it's recorded i can't see why we wouldn't have uh we wouldn't use like the Connolly stage yeah where the fall symposium. that's and uh, then i could just get hooked up to the audio system for sound quality they were able to get yeah. great captures up there exactly yeah. no it seemed As, like the videos that it they was strong yeah. Yeah. yeah and and they oh. no how how awesome that would that, that be would be just great. to have because i don't know that every you know every university or every it's going to have that kind of you know ability to to produce that so exactly, exactly. um that so, would be so dean woodard if you're listening <laughs> please Please. Oh, you know, just uh, you know, <laughs> wink. Uh, that that. No, I I think you know we 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 will do our our part. Uh, maybe we'll even do our part here if we do get word of a of a live presentation. People can log on to uh, put in a good word or you word for you or two here on WXVU. Um, but that's uh, that's phenomenal. That's. Um, Congratulations again, um, I, and I think even more so just after this conversation, I have gained a greater respect uh, for the process you've gone through and kind of what it means to you, um, which I think that above 
anything um, is like so cool doing this kind of master's research. So I want to thank again Samuel Sinemis, um for coming on with us uh, here on this WXVNU podcast. Thanks so much, Sam. Uh, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Nick. Go Cats.